Okay, today's reading is John chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. It be found on page 984 of the Bible's next year's seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Verily I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our great God, as we draw together in this space, we come from a variety of experiences and backgrounds. And as we bring before you the victories, the celebrations, the dramas, the disappointments of this week. They are very real and they are our lives and um, each of us has within us a hope that, that you care and that you would tend to our souls. We may have so much skepticism about whether you will or we may have great faith because we've seen it in the past wherever we come from. Would you meet us now, as we said last week um, in the message, we, we looked at that scripture passage that says, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, almost as if we are um, little chicks in a nest opening up our mouths, we do that now we, as we look to you, and we look to put some measure of trust that you will speak and that you will feed us in a way that nourishes our spiritual lives. And we pray that we move forward because of that in greater hope and faith. That you love us and you bring to us what we need despite our mess and despite our brokenness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have caught from the reading that we're talking and Jesus is talking today about food. We've got lots of different names for meal times. Does anybody want to try out, just throw out different things that we talk about? Words for meals. There's a lot of them. Brunch. Brunch. Dinner. Dinner. Supper. Supper. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Second breakfast. Chipotle. Fast food. <laughs> Slow food. What else? Anything else? Picnic. Comfort food. Soul food. 
at our house once in a while we have what we call, and we, you have to say it in this tone of voice, chocolate breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Old Holland tradition. Yeah, there's all kinds of words for grub and for, what other ones do I got here? Banquet, picnic, we heard that one. Mess, M-R-E, if you're in the armed forces. Carry out, chow, feast, fair, provisions, munchies, nourishment, breaking bread. And it's, a, it's so essential to humanity and to living that there are, we attach a lot to these. It's not just a lot of words that we have, um, as if it's like the proverbial idea of like the Eskimos have a hundred words for, for ice or for snow or whatever. Um, but we attach not just a lot of words, but we attach a lot of baggage, a lot of meaning and even taboos. And so in the Middle East and in India and uh, parts of Africa, don't eat with your left hand because that's the hand for the bathroom in those places. I even had a professor in seminary who was left-handed and he, was, he had all these students in this place he had visited to teach in another part of the world and they were, they were embarrassed for him and chuckling because he was gesturing during his lecture. You know, this very intelligent man that they were supposed to respect was doing this embarrassing thing of gesturing with his left hand. In Korea, if an older person offers you a drink, you lift your glass to receive it with both hands. And if you're drinking coffee with the Bedouins in the Middle East, you shake the cup at the end to show that you're done. It's very important. And if you're in China, of course, of course, if you're in China, do not flip the fish. It's bad luck. To flip. It's, it, let me read this. It says, to flip the fish over is like saying that the fisherman's boat is going to capsize. The most superstitious will leave the bottom part untouched, while others will pull off the bone itself to get at the bottom. Just don't flip the fish over. So we got all these little, all these taboos, all these things. And of course, the extreme, the one big, the biggest taboo, right? The biggest of all. Personified for Monty Python fans in the lifeboat skit. You know, you, anybody? No? I'd, I'd rather eat Johnson. You know, no? Yes? Um, arguing over who they're going to eat because they're dying on a lifeboat. Cannibalism, right? The, 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 the biggest mealtime taboo that there is out there. And so as Jesus says, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and this is, you know, he's, he's entering into a realm that is jarring. It can be viewed as grotesque. It's, it's odd. It's difficult. But think about it this way. The Bible's casting, um, casting really a story and a tale about what we do every week over here. And we've got the cup with wine on one side and grape juice on the other. And we got the bread here. And what the Bible does is cast this vision of what's happening in this meal that will be our meal, that, that is the Christian meal. And it's saying that Jesus truly feeds you in a deep, deep spiritual way at this meal. Because God truly can feed you in a deep, deep way all the time. Nourishes us. It's a book by Sarah Miles called Take This Bread. And she writes about how she met this bishop of California in the Episcopal Church. And when she met with him to talk about her food bank, he said, there's a hunger beyond food that's expressed in food. And that's why feeding is always kind of a miracle. It speaks to a bigger desire.
simple. And as we dealt with some of that next week, last week, this week we enter into specifically what is Jesus doing as he, because in this passage he's, uh, he, he is entering into not just talking about a general way and that he's bread of life, but he's getting very specific and he's prepping the church, he's prepping the disciples to understand this meal that he would ask them to do whenever they get together. So he's going he's gonna to point towards this practice and now before that's even there, he's, he's preemptively giving them a basis to even comprehend what on earth this is going to mean when he starts doing this. And so, and, and not surprisingly, he's so direct about it and he doesn't say, oh, it's just a metaphor. <laughs> he doesn't actually, he could have said that because in verse 52... This is the reply when he starts talking this way. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you see, there's a, there's a difficulty understanding this. There's a, there's a difficulty. It's jarring. So let's, let's look in a little bit. As Jesus, I mean, he even, his response basically, he doesn't say, oh, okay, you're troubled by this? Don't worry, it's just a symbol, it's just a metaphor. He actually replies with more harsh words that, re- that sound a little more like gnaw and munch in his reply to them. So he takes it, for whatever reason, let's try to figure out why he's going in this direction. Because um, there's like a strangeness to it and there's, um, there's a great promise to it that we're going to explore. And I want to do that by just three brief background stories. And the first is the Passover story. When the ancient Israelites, as the book of Exodus tells us, were enslaved by the Egyptians who did that thing that, you know, small in history someone does and says, I think we can get away with making these people do exactly what we want and enslaving them and oppressing them. I think we can get away with it, and so we will. And so this happens. And in the Bible, God is, God is never affirming of warlike and oppressive and exploitative peoples. And so when they refuse to let these people go, then there's this night, the night of judgment. And for the ancient Israelites, it's also the beginning of something called Passover, a meal. And, and you say, well, yeah, I know that story. Isn't that the one where because the Israelites are the kind of the good guys and they're the oppressed ones, they get out without any judgment. There's going to be a terrible judgment on this warlike, oppressive, exploitative people. Terrible judgment. And, well, the Israelites aren't going to have that just because they're the, they're the good guys. They were the oppressed ones, right? And in many ways, that's informed more by our modern cultural mindset. Um, but not at all by the actual story because what actually happens is they don't get off because they have the moral high ground. Um, as you look at it, basically you see a reaffirmation of what the Bible continues to say all the way through, and we even say each Sunday morning here that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We're all on the spectrum of exploitative and oppressive behavior, and we all have it within us to go there. And so the Israelites actually, they don't just automatically get a pass, they, uh, you know, a pass over. They actually need to be covered and shielded. And so... You read in Exodus 12, verse 7, it says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. 
So this is the lamb's blood they're going to eat, but the blood is collected, put on the doorpost. The blood, verse 13, will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike. Um, So there's that one very necessary point along the way that says, even they need to be covered. We're all in the same boat. But then what Jesus does, when he actually says some words, he does a Passover feast. And during the Passover time with his disciples, he says the words that I say up here when we lead communion each week. This is, he's holding up the, the Passover elements and he says at the end, after the meal, he says, this is my blood shed for you for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. And so what Jesus has done there is very scandalous and controversial if you're a good Jewish person in the first century because he has he's co-opted and, and put himself at the center of what's happening. And he talks about his own blood shed for you. You see what's happening? John the Baptist, if you have any doubt, then John the Baptist, the first time Jesus comes as an adult, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking up. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There it is. Who is Jesus? What is his, you know, his, his strange and confusing life? What was it all about? It was an act of grace that covers you. He was, taking, he was taking the old Passover story and giving it an upgrade because the animal sacrifice, have, they've done their work. They've gotten us to that point. But now um, the Son of God has stepped in. And now by his blood we have been covered. Um. So Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Those are his words, preparing us for this feast. They echo over the centuries of Jews having celebrated the Passover and looking at those elements in order to be covered. Is there a sense in which you need to be covered? Um, The Christian path has always been this. It's very difficult to stay on it this way and to not distort it and imagine that Christianity is about some way you've covered yourself and got yourself in good graces of God. But this has always been the heart of it, that you get to the end of the day and you go, thank God. You know that confidence of the, those Jews having that Passover and being told the scary thing of the firstborn are all going to die and sitting inside and going, I wonder if that blood on the doorpost, did we get enough? Can someone go outside and put some more on just to make sure? You know, that, how confident are you that you sit, you sit there and you say, we're covered. Oh, praise God, I'm covered. That is, that is like the Christian mantra that squares you away with what the gospel of Christianity is all about. You get to the end of the day, you go, oh, praise God, I am covered by Jesus and not by myself, not by anything I deserve, not because I'm better, not because I'm a victim, not because I'm an achiever, nothing. Praise God covered so Passover that's one sort of background story let me tell you another one and this will be a little quicker a little shorter I think and interesting because I don't know that you've heard this story Um, in Exodus 25 so we're still in the book of Exodus but at this point 
God invites Moses and the leaders to go climb the mountain, go for a hike. And it's the mountain, you know, the Ten Commandments, whole nine yards. And so he invites them up onto the mountain, and so um, they're going to do that the next day. But they get up in the morning, and they do some things um, first before they go up on the mountain. They gather all the people, and they slaughter a few young bulls, of course. You know, start your morning right. And they collect the blood, and then they move into a reading of the Book of the Covenant. So everyone's surrounded, and, and this is like reading of the story of God and the, in the, in the promise, the sort of legal contract promise slash story, you've brought us out of Egypt, we will be your people, and they read through the Book of the Covenant, kind of like, this is, my, this is our story and we're, we're going to stick to it. Okay, so they've ratified the covenant with God, they've entered back into it, they've got all the people at the base of the mountain, and then of course, then they get into this old time religion. Um, the, the fun stuff that we don't do anymore um, it's sort of like Moses becomes a Jackson Pollock, you know, the artist with the, the paint, and the people become the canvas. You get where this is going. Remember that, that blood they collected earlier? Well, now that comes into play, and everyone gets splattered with this blood. And then, they, isn't that great? I mean, we don't do that. It's like Blue Man Group, you know, or Gallagher, um, if you bring it to today's world. Gallagher? Yeah, some of you? The watermelons? And then, so they've got this, this, they've done these things that they're supposed to do, and it's time to climb the mountain. So the leaders climb up the mountain after all the fun has happened, and they're climbing, and they get to the top, and then it, this is what it says. It says, um, why don't I just get it, because it's really, let me just find it. They, they see God. Okay, let me get this, let me find this. But God did not, they saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. They had dinner together up on the mountain. And I want you to see the thread woven through of God wanting to have a meal with us. God wanting to eat with us. God wanting, essentially, essentially, to meet in a very real way with someone. You know, in the way in which you, you, know, you want to have someone over, but you know, you're not very close and it might get a little awkward so you invite them over in between meals. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to do all that preparation. And let's do coffee and let's do it away from my house. And let, you know. But when it's, you really want to be together with someone, Say, hey, come at, come at 4.30, and I'll have some appetizers, and then we'll get the grill, and then after a dessert, and then we'll have some wine. You know, the whole thing. And that's, God wants to meet with you. And he meets with us in this meal. This is part of the thread of God revealing what, how he's going to connect with us at this table. Um, so let me, you know, I don't know if you're skeptical about that. Let me, just, let me just read someone's experience. Because l- let me tell you, God can meet you anywhere. But, and he can. He can meet you anywhere. But he has, seems to have decided to open the door often with, at this place, in this meal. So this is a story that was on Radio Lab. if any of you listen to that podcast. It's a story about Jeff. And Jeff one day was sitting in his kitchen and he just had this like poof moment where he said, you know, I've believed in this Christian stuff all my life and now I don't believe it anymore. Just, it was like a moment. Boom. Now I don't believe. 
Well, his journey kind of meanders, and eventually as this interviewer is, is to having him tell a story, he, he ends up just kind of out of sort of a traditional impulse. He ends up sitting at a church, a cozy church. He likes the music, you know, and he likes singing in the choir. But he's, you know, it's still that feeling of like, no, I don't believe this stuff anymore. And then, <laughs> and then this is, let me, put, let, me, let me put it into his words. Then just one gosh darn Sunday, I don't know what we were singing. Yes, he did say gosh darn. Um, I don't know what we were singing. I don't know what the sermon was about. So the humility of preachers everywhere. That's often, often said in people's stories of life change. Um, but as we were taking communion, I was taking the elements. I suddenly felt like the air changed, there, like there was a palpable presence all around, almost like a tempest. I felt there was something there. The interviewer says, was it something you felt in your head? And he says, sternum mostly, underneath the sternum, a tightness, a hand touching there. Very strange. I don't know what to make of that still. And and the interviewer says, Jeff, right now do you believe in God? And he says, yes. It's just really different from what I felt earlier. You don't believe how many stories there are of people who meet God in the feast, in the communion, in the Lord's Supper. One last story. So this is one that I'm almost sure you haven't heard because um, I don't remember when the first time I heard it was, but it was, wasn't that long ago. And this is from the Old Testament as well in Second Samuel when um, we're learning about David and his, his battles and there's these group of Rambo-type warriors that surrounded David as the Philistines were still um, kind of controlling certain parts of what the promised land was, and David was leading his armies out. And at one point, he's in a cave, and his hometown of Bethlehem has been under siege by the Philistines. They have it. They've, They've got Bethlehem. And this is in the part of the Bible where it's describing, in a brief way, it's describing these three mighty men who are who are really, you know, legends of this period of battles. These three mighty men. And David happens to say something in the presence, and these, these mighty men overhear him. And it's kind of like you might say, um, what's the gelato place on, on 16th Street? Divine. Divine, yep, see, some of you know. It's kind of like if you moved from Sacramento and you said, oh, to have some gelato from Divine, like on a hot summer's day and you're in some small town in Tennessee or something, and you're like, oh, for gelato, or something else. You know? You're really hungry, and oh, for some Chondo's tacos right now. You know, and that's what David does. He says, "Oh, he's just talking." You know, he's you know, waiting for these battles to happen, and they've got his hometown. And he says, "Oh, for a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. Oh, for a drink." He's thirsty, and no longer do those words come out of his mouth. And those three warriors are like, "Bing!" They're like gone, and they are on a death mission. I mean, they go into the they go in to kick the hornet's nest of the Philistines. Three of them. And they, they come out alive with that water in hand. And they come and they bring it to their leader. And they hand them that water. Isn't that an amazing story? Isn't that great? I never heard that one as a kid. Except it's not, it's not done. That's not the best part. Because David, this basically just absolutely dismantles David. That they have done this. And, and so what he does is he takes this water and he... Um, and he goes out and he actually pours it out on the ground. He says, I cannot drink this. And they don't 
they don't record, we don't know the look on the faces of the warriors at this point in the story. Um, was it pouring out that water on the ground? But he says, no, he's, he's not going to drink it. This is for God, I guess, to drink. I'm pouring this out. I'm not worthy. And, and his, his language is very clear. He says, how could I drink, how could I drink the, your blood, is what he's saying. Is this not the blood of these men who risked their lives for me so I could have this cup of water? And I want you to see, so I want you to see how jarring that was. He's looking at this water and he's saying, ah, and he's just, ah, are you serious? Did you really do that for me? And he's deciding if he can drink it or not. He can't. He says, this is worthy only of God. But for us, now it's the same thing going on. He's saying, how can I drink? Essentially, it's water, but he says, it's blood. How can I drink the blood? And it's this weighty moment. And at this table, there's a cup, and we say, and Jesus says, this is my blood. And it's a weighty, jarring reality, except it's not a human act of sacrifice merely that can be poured out. Say, no, this is only good enough for God himself. I can't have this. It's God himself giving his blood for you. So he's the one giving it. It's not for him to drink. It's only for us. I want you to sense the weightiness, the jarring nature of this. I think that's why Jesus even gets a little grotesque and just intense about, you know, gnaw and munch. This is, he wants it to really get in our face that what's happening here is jarring and weighty. And so when you look at it, have you, are you ready? If you're someone who's a Christian and you come, come to this table, maybe a lot. And it can get a little bit mundane, maybe. But Jesus wants it to kind of keep jarring us with the reality of, do you see how amazing this is? Do you see what has been done for you? Do you see this gift? And for some, in some ways, that keeps us maybe from drinking it lightly, from coming up lightly as if, um, you know, I'm not really sure if, if the whole Jesus thing is for me yet, but I'm just going to do this. And in some ways, it's like, like maybe it needs to be a little weightier and that, at some point, you'll grab hold in a weighty way. Anyway, it's jarring, and I think you should let it jar you. Let God in. Um, you know, just real quickly, um, and then I'll close. There's a lot of traditions in the Christian faith and how they look at what's happening here. How do we think about this? And there's, um, uh, there's different approaches, um, one of the traditions would be more of the, I'll just say it's even, it's kind of like hocus pocus. It's like magic, right? Some words get spoken and a bell rings and suddenly now the actual substance of what is in this stuff changes. And now God is physically present. And this, so the change means that now this is almost like these elements are glowing and this is, you know, immediately flipped on a switch of the divine and there's access and the doors open and God is there but he wasn't a second earlier. So that would be more sort of the magic approach. In fact, the words, it's um, theorized that the words hocus pocus derived, sometime in the 17th century started getting used related to magic, but that they derived from the, the Latin that is said by a priest over the elements when they you know, do this change of transubstantiation, and the words are hoc est corpus. Okay, magic. The other, there's another extreme as well, and that is 
mirage, in a sense. The fact that, you know, the, it, we're doing just, just something that, you know, Jesus did, and we kind of remember him, and you do it, and then that's pretty much that. And um, it's not really leading to anything beyond it. Um, and there's a tradition that um, tries to figure out a, maybe another middle way, and this would be like the Protestant Reformed tradition. Our church would fit within a tradition that looks at it and basically, you know, not, not so much mystery, not so much magic, but, um, or not so much mirage, not so much magic, but mystery. That is to say that maybe what the, the magic group gets wrong is that, um, you know, God's presence is almost manipulated by a couple of words and a ring and bell, and then boom, it's there, and it's in that kind of automatic way. And then the other, and, and, and although God's presence is real, maybe it's not magical like that. And the other side maybe needs that nudge that really God is beyond and through this, although there is more of a symbolic. So, you know, so where's the middle of that? Um, John Calvin, uh, Protestant reformer, I'll just give you a, a couple of quotes and then we'll be done. He says it this way. Not that one that fell. Not that one. We might, we might be done before we do those quotes. <laughs> oh, there it is. He says this. The signs are bread and wine, which represent the invisible food which we receive from the body and blood of Christ. For as God, regenerating us in baptism, engrafts us into the fellowship of his church and makes us his by adoption... So we have said that he performs the office of a provident parent in continually supplying the food by which he may sustain and preserve us in the life to which he has begotten us by his word. But in terms of like how it works, then this is his answer. If anyone should ask me how this takes place, I shall not be ashamed to confess that it is a secret too lofty for either my mind to comprehend or my words to declare. And to speak more plainly, I rather experience it than understand it. Let us pray. A God of grace, keep utilizing every means at your disposal to shake us up and be real for us and to help us to see you, to help us to know you, to help us to drink deep of your grace. Help us grow as we shield ourselves, protect ourselves, and tend to run away from the reality of our own brokenness and sin, but also wash all over us with the flood of your grace so that when we look at our mess and our brokenness and our failures, um, we see your grace and your love. And it gets bigger and bigger every time. Feed us with this grace now as we go to the table in a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen.